Hello and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It's Saturday, May 11th, 2019. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And we've got a lot to talk about today, a whole lot to get to. Second half is going to be a little Colorado intensive for y'all, if that's something that interests you. If not, then, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Too bad. <laughs> I mean, I think it's <laughs> where <relevant>. we live. <laughs> it's relevant to national politics in terms of how Democrats govern. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. And some interesting stuff, I think, too. I would agree with that. So what would you like to start with? Well, I'd like to start by talking about this very interesting conversation I had with my folks yesterday. Mm. So my parents moved to South Fork, Colorado, which is this tiny <clears throat> town in the mountains of about 300 people with two restaurants. 300 old white people. Yes. Let's, you know, let's two restaurants and a, one gas station. And um, they came into town because my birthday, as you know, was last Friday. And Mother's Day <laughs> as is you know. uh, tomorrow. Well, we talked about it. It was my birthday week. Um, and anyway, tomorrow's Mother's Day. So in case you didn't know that, call your mom. Um, so anyway, they came into town and we had uh, dinner at my brother's house, Josh, um, who we've talked about before. And I was talking to my mom about health care. Um, she found this article in this little magazine that she reads about the company that I work for. Um, and so we were sort of talking about healthcare and about um, for-profit healthcare, and it snowballed into this conversation about my grandmother, um, uh, which snowballed into a conversation about politics, <laughs> because it always does with my folks. But we were talking about my grandma. Um, she died um, of uh, uh, Alzheimer's, I guess you'd say, a couple years ago, and um, my mom was saying how when she was put into a nursing care facility, which cost $7,000 a month, my grandfather um, only paid 350 of that $7,000 a month for her care. Um, the rest of it was covered by Medicaid, which was made possible, of course, from the Medicaid expansion from the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, I try not to get into politics, but I can't help it. So I just said to my Republican voting mom, um, you know, I think that's wonderful that she was able to have that care and that it did not bankrupt um, their family and that it was Medicaid and not Medicare that paid for it is a result of Obamacare. And for the people who live in states that rejected the Medicaid expansion, they would not have that same opportunity. And she didn't know that. Um, and... So we talked about that, and then we got into a conversation about aging and health care and the social safety net. And my parents are boomers. And as are mine. You know, I I just feel like I've been thinking about this a lot lately because they're, you know, retired and my mom works part, sort of part-time and um you know, I worry about them. I, I want them to be safe and secure and, you know, I think they're going to be okay. Um, but I also think about the last 40 years, you know, and about how the people that were in power, which would be my parents, um, the people who who were in power and especially who are in power now, the baby boomers, how they really just spent their political lives 
dismantling um, the social safety net that they're now going to start needing to depend on. They didn't want to pay the taxes for other people to be okay when they got old. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to pay the taxes for poor people to be okay. They didn't want to pay for living in a society. And now they're coming to that part of your life where if you do not have uh, the social safety net, we go back to the Great Depression where old people just starve to death or freeze to death in the streets. Um, and so that generation created, you know, the, 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 the New Deal created Social Security and Medicaid and Medicare and all of these things that they're now going to depend on. But they have dismantled it in such a way that the safety net is really just a string. It's just a series of strings barely held together. And then the boomer generation is going to retire and they're going to be a giant elephant that's going to smash into this social safety net that they have helped make so thin that it barely exists. And they're going to fucking break it. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to happen. And what that means is that the children that they so dearly love and the grandchildren that they so dearly love are going to do the thing that they have spent their lives not doing, which is raising their own taxes and paying their share to make sure that old people don't starve to death and die because they're poor. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that our generation's going to do. And I know that we're going to do it because we don't want to see our parents in the streets. And so we're going to do that. We're going to do the thing that they were incapable of doing, which is to take a step back from your own interest and look at other people's interests. And we're going to raise our own taxes and we're going to pay for them to be able to live out the rest of their lives in relative security, safety, and dignity. And it's very frustrating that that's where we are. Because this social safety net, had they not done what they did, we wouldn't have to be in this situation. But here we are. And then when they shit all over us and tell us how selfish we are and how much we're snowflakes and how we're killing this industry and killing that thing and, and aren't we awful? It's like, we could just be you. We could just be you and say, fuck it, who cares? Not my problem. I'm not old. <laughs> I, don't need a, I don't need that. Why should I pay for you? But that's not who we are. We're a generation that has empathy. And that's something that I just don't think that they have. And I'm not talking about every individual, right? But I'm talking about the generational politics of the baby boomers is one that seriously lacks empathy. And I think one thing our generation does not get enough credit for is that we don't lack empathy. And so we're going to do the thing they didn't do. And we're going to raise our own taxes and we're going to pay for them. And that's where I am. Yeah, and and the, interestingly, you said that when you brought up these points, they basically agreed with you. Yes, I but, mean, my mom was talking. My mom works in the mortgage industry. She was talking about reverse mortgages, which is a thing that she <clears throat> specialized in, <clears throat> and a thing that creates a system where a lot of people that retire can, without you know, a robust retirement plan and four hundred one k, can survive. That they can survive at a relatively uh, the same level of of this living that they had before they retired. Mm -hmm. And she was sort of lamenting that, um, you know, it sucks that basically additionally, the boomer generation is not going to pass on any assets to their children. Um, 
And I said, I don't think that we care about that. Like, that's not money that we earned. Um, but again, <laughs> whew, uh, some selfishness there. Um, but, but I said, I don't think that we really care about that. But what I care about is, how about for people who don't own a house? So reverse mortgages could be like a solution for people who are upper middle or middle income who have a house that they've owned for a long time that has some inherited a house yeah what about renters so we're just supposed to say like everybody who rents a house when they retire just they don't matter i mean so I, i just asked like what is the capitalist solution what is the market solution to the baby boomers retiring and she said there isn't one Mm-hmm. And I said, I, exactly, there isn't one. The solution is that we live in a society. We live together and we're supposed to take care of each other. And that's what taxes do. That's what the social safety net is created to do. And they really didn't have anything to say about that. They really didn't have any comeback other than like, yeah. Other than, no, uh, we're, we're going to keep voting to destroy it. But we love you. I don't know. I mean, I told her, like, look, it matters who you elect. It matters who you vote for. And it's always mattered. But now that you're at the stage in your life, like, maybe it matters more than some of the other reasons that you vote on things. I don't yeah, know that it, they'll ever vote differently. I, I don't know that. But it was interesting that, like, n- neither her nor my dad really had... I mean, his sort of bluster is always just like, well, the government's going to fuck it up. So much government waste. So much government waste. Yeah, it's my dad's same thing. Government waste. Okay, fine. Uh, So what then? So what then? I I mean, they call Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid government waste. The entitlement programs that Paul Ryan so desperately wants to close. That's that's supposed government waste. That's the entitlement program. That's That's what they're literally going to live on at this point. And right. And now that it's like, oh, it affects me. Oh no, <laughs> what have I done? And it's like, right, what have you done? What have you done? So I don't know if it'll affect how they vote or anybody like them. I don't know if there might suddenly become this like, oh my God, like we do need the government to help people who can't work anymore, um, which is a thing we've been talking about as Democrats for decades and fighting about and getting accused of all kinds of crazy socialism but right now, these boomers, man, they're fucked unless we step in. Reagan, Reaganomics really kind of poisoned the minds of an entire generation, didn't it? Yeah. Because did. you think back and that whole thing was, why should money out of your paycheck go to the people who don't work as hard as you? And everything you have, you, you earned through your bootstraps. And of course, they leave out the fact that there was the GI Bill for, you know, there's all yep. these soldiers and the affordability and of things like owning a home and going to college going to college and and it was a completely different world and they were in a in a position to to say that or think that they you know they they just worked so much harder than everybody else and then they somehow think that our generation doesn't work hard and mm-hmm. and i know. mean they broke it and now we're living in a broken system and trying their very best to get by in a sort of gig economy with very unstable employment. Mm-hmm. Most millennials don't last more than two years in a job, whether it's through layoffs or firing or quitting to do something better. There's absolutely no Or quitting because they can't loyalty. afford to live wherever right. they're living. Right. I mean, we, we are living in a broken system that they broke. And now they're going to break the safety net. 
And that's just the reality of it. I mean, there's no going back at this point. That's it's over. It's yeah, it's going to be broken. They, the, this entire generation is about to retire, and they're just they they've just dismantled it to such an extent that they're it just doesn't function. And so we're going to have to fundamentally repair and fix it, and it's going to cost not them anything. It's mm-hmm. going to cost our generation, who's already saddled with incredible student loan debt, unstable employment, living in a gig economy with incredibly unstable um, wages, um, ridiculous housing costs. We're already saddled with that, and now we're going to have to take care of the cost of living of the biggest generation next to ours retiring. Mm-hmm. Thanks. <laughs> but why don't you buy houses? Why aren't you having more kids? You killed Toys R Us. They don't like diamonds. I mean, <laughs> fuck off with your criticism of millennials. Seriously. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, and this, this fight is, uh, is ongoing, obviously. Um, of course, this generation is going to eventually die out. And that's, we don't say that glibly. We're talking literally about our parents and right. people we love. Um, but, like, that's the only solution in order to well, start writing the ship. I mean, we were talking about this last night, too. You know, the Social Security and Medicare system were made at a time when most people lived to 70. Mm-hmm. 75 was old. Mm-hmm. The number of people who have hit 100 is at an all-time high this year. Yeah. So the idea of Social Security being a safety net for people from 65 to 70 or maybe 75, and a real outlier would be like 80, mm-hmm. is now from 65 to 100. Yeah. So we're talking about 35 years of caring for people who can't work anymore rather than 10. And it's not set up to do that. It never was. But certainly it's not set up to do that for this large of a generation. And certainly it's not set up to do that with the way that it has been so weakened. Mm-hmm. So it's going to break. And that's the reality of it. And I don't know that we'll be able to, I think we'll be able to get the boomers by. Um, but I don't know that after that it'll be able to exist. Because right. a lot of us aren't having kids. I mean, the boomers had kids which made up for the largest population of people which is the millennials because the largest population of people had kids right <laughs> well there is a, there is a solution to declining birth rates and needing more people in the workforce immigration immigration but we don't want to do that because that means brown people and people who don't speak english and right <laughs> i mean that's literally the solution to the social safety net problem is immigration. Mm-hmm. It's bringing more people into this country to work and to pay taxes and to pay into the social safety net. In which order they for, want to do. Which they want to do. And I want them to do. There just aren't enough fucking white kids around to do this. Um, we need people to come into this country. Like Our generation has the lowest birth rate in the history of our country. We just aren't having kids because how the fuck do you have all of this I just talked about? And you're like, I'm going to have a baby (laughs) or five. Like it just, we can't, we can't afford it. And it's not reasonable. And not to mention looking at like climate change and the world we live in. Like you're like, yes, I should bring a small child into this. That would be good. No, everybody's like, no, I can't do it. Even if you want to. The people that I know that are having kids are like very thoughtful about it Mm -hmm. and like really struggling with like, I really want to have a baby and I really have to think about if that's possible. Yeah. Whereas I think my parents' generation, they just, that's what you did. 
You got married at 20 and then you started pumping out babies and that was it. That's what you do. <laughs> and then you bought a house. Bought a house and then you... Even if only one of you worked yeah. because you could afford it and because houses were not that expensive. Didn't really have to go to college. really hard to get a loan. And some people did. Some people didn't. As long as you had a high school degree, you were kind of fine. If you were able-bodied, you could get a job that paid enough where you could buy a house. And a car. Yeah. And... When you could stay home, and usually the mom, and that was to us that that's just insanity. Yeah, it just, it just makes like, no what sense. What world at all. is that? What world is that? And it doesn't exist. It does not exist for us. It never will. And then they look at us and they're like, "Why are you so different? You're such snowflakes." And it's like because I don't live in the same universe as you live in. I literally do not live in the same world as you live in. I don't. I wonder if it would behoove us millennials who get this from our parents to like sit down and show them. The actual like budget sheet, like this is what I make. Yeah, this and is I have rent. a college degree. This is car. This is you know this is student loan repayment. This is my health insurance, and be like, okay, where's the money for the house and the car and the kid? You and show the diamonds. me. And the diamonds. Stop eating avocado toast, Travis. Okay, well that's ten dollars a month out of my budget. That okay, pays for great. a kid, right? <laughs> that's a mortgage. Yeah. I mean, we just literally don't live in the same world. It, we just don't. And no, no amount of hard work and bootstraps is going to make the world the way it was when they were growing up. It just right. isn't. Neither of my parents have a college degree. Neither of them needed it. Mm-mm. And we were raised believing you have to have one. How many times were you told as a kid, having a college degree for your generation is like having a high school degree for mine. It's required. Well, well now, as long now as you get my... one, you'll be okay and you'll get a good job. It doesn't matter what you get your degree and just get a degree. That's <laughs> yeah. what everyone was told. And we all did it. Yeah. And now in most sectors, now you need a graduate degree. It's yes. not even a, an undergrad. Is kind of like what a high school diploma was almost. And Yeah, so. it is. An undergrad is a high school diploma now. And if you get your master's, which I have. They'll pay you like you have your undergrad, and then they'll tell you you're overqualified for mm-hmm. some things that pay pretty well. I mean, most people I know with masters are having a harder time getting a job than people that only have their bachelors. Sure, yeah. So it's not the same world, and yeah, that's my generational rant for the day. I just. But it's interesting that your parents even now acknowledge, like. Yeah. And and it's not like they're saying, yeah, you're right. I guess we better, you know, think about the way we vote. It's just like, yeah, you're right, but whatever. I don't know. My mom might be a little bit movable on that front. Maybe. But my dad, no. And Josh, Josh is stuck in like the wealth gap bubble of upper middle class, but doesn't want to tax the rich because someday he's going to be a billionaire. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay. Yeah, okay. And if you were, and then you got taxed a little more, what would the problem be? It's my money. Okay. I earned it. You didn't. You don't deserve it. It's mine. Okay. He's selfish. It's fine. Um, anyway, that's my, uh, that's my rant about the boomers. And <clears throat> Arliss, I know that if you're listening to this, you're going to be very offended and I'm not... <laughs> Saying that boomers didn't do some good things. Lord knows they did. Um, And then they undid them is the problem, right? So like, yes, Clean Water and Clean Air Act was passed. And yes, all these things were done. And now they are being systematically dismantled entirely. Mm -hmm. All of the good work that the boomers did back in the 70s is being completely undone. And more of you voted than we did, and that's partly our fault. But y'all... (laughs) 
Well, on that subject, on that topic, let's segue to talking about the state a little bit of, of politics right now. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to get into all the, the Trump shenanigans and Giuliani and... I'm not. I don't actually... I've, I've been sort of avoiding that because I'm just like, who cares? Like, I'm just... <laughs> Well, I, I, I will hate them say so I, much that it's just like okay, more things bad. I, I, I will, know. I will say this: that I think before even this week, maybe the last seven to ten days, Nancy Pelosi and the le- Dem leadership was still very much like, "Oh, we're not taking the bait. They, they, they want the impeachment fight because impeachment is so divisive." And now, really, it doesn't look like there's much of a choice. Because again, I have to remind you out there that a lot of people hear the word impeachment. And they just think that all of a sudden Congress takes a vote whether to kick the president out or not. No. No. It is much more complicated than that. Impeachment starts with hearings. And impeachment hearings involve a gathering large quantities of, of data and evidence. Yes. Right? It, right. It's like... It's a, it's a jury trial. Yeah. For the president. But the... The impeachment hearings are just sort of the start of it. And impeachment hearings don't necessarily lead to an impeachment vote. Right. Um, remember, the way impeachment works is it's raised by the House. And it's it starts with hearings. Like, it's like a grand jury, right? If grand juries actually were useful and effective and not a tool of the state to sort of. hurt people, right? It's like, here's all the evidence. Do we have enough evidence? Do we have probable cause here? It's like an evidentiary hearing, vote? right? A pretrial hearing. Yeah. Do we have enough? It's a grand jury. Do we have enough evidence <laughs> here? Find people. Do we have enough evidence to indict someone? Do we have enough evidence to, in the president's case, impeach someone? Right? And then you have to go through this entire, basically like a jury trial without a jury. The jury is the Congress, or the House, I guess. Um, the House Judicial Judiciary Committee, but the mm-hmm. House in, in total. <clears throat> and, they, and then they decide, like, based on all of this evidence and all of this testimony, is there enough here to prove that the president... Well, is there enough evidence to impeach him, meaning charge him with a high crime or misdemeanor? Mm-hmm. And then it goes to the Senate. The Senate votes. And the Senate votes, and that's sort of like the jury being mm-hmm. like, guilty or not guilty. They don't, it's not unanimous, though. It's majority. Right. It's, yes. So that's the Senate's job is to sort of say, you said he's guilty of this. We have to decide. You're charging him with this. You're saying, we think there's enough evidence to charge him with high crimes or misdemeanors. And the Senate is the people that say guilty or not guilty. Yeah. And again, a couple of things for you folks who aren't political history nerds like we are. The, a vote, when it goes into impeachment, a, then that vote to remove the president from office doesn't mean he gets thrown in jail. It just means he gets right. removed from office. Just means he's not the president anymore. Right. Now, yeah. that hasn't, that has only been done. This is not a criminal case. There's no jail time. There's yeah. no none of that. Right. Yeah. This is just the president can't be the president anymore. The last time there was an impeachment vote in the Senate was for Bill Clinton. And mm-hmm. it was democratically controlled Senate. So the House impeached him. The House said there's enough evidence here for an impeachment. And the Senate said not guilty. Yeah. And so he remained the president. Yeah. Uh, but the important part of impeachment is really the hearings in our case, I think. Yeah. And I'm going to get to why. Right. Here's what's happening. You have uh, all these. Um, House committees that are asking for all this information, whether it's Trump's taxes, whether it's the full unredacted, unredacted Miller report and the 60 stuff from the grand juries and all this other information and business records. And they want all this stuff. 
And basically, they're just being stonewalled. Mm-hmm. They're just, no, you can't have it. No, 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 no. And so now they're issuing subpoenas. Um, issuing subpoenas, they're still saying no to those. Mm-hmm. And subpoenas take time. And there is some legal, it's a little... Muddy. Muddy, mm-hmm. legally, like if that's going to work. Yeah. But under impeachment hearings, it's pretty crystal clear. Like yeah. if you, if the House takes up impeachment hearings and moves forward and they subpoena whatever information they want, it's pretty much established precedent that, yeah, you got to hand it over. Yeah, because, yes, absolutely. Because at this point, that is the House absolutely constitutionally um, doing what it's supposed to be able to do, and you don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. This is not like a special counsel investigation. This is... The House considering whether to impeach the President of the United States. Exercising its legislative Exercising its checks and balances and its co-equal branch of government. And part of that power is the power to impeach the President. Now, anybody can scream it's a political witch hunt and this is bullshit. and That's fine. But, you know, legally, there's no getting out of turning over those documents at that point. Uh, if, if they did, if, if, if a court or a judge did step up and say, no, then we have a constitutional crisis. But we're not there yet. But what drives me crazy is all the think pieces and the talking heads and the articles and the Times and the Post are all like, well, how does this play politically? Well, Democrats are reticent to do that because of the politics, but politically it might actually work. And it's like, okay, if that's all we care about, then why did we work so hard to get back into power? We talked about oversight. We talked about restoring the rule of law and adherence to the Constitution. And if we're not going to do it, then it really is pointless. Yeah. And if we sort, and we're past a constitutional. If crisis. we pay a price politically, first of all, if you think we're going to pay a price politically, then you seemingly don't believe that an impeachment inquiry is going to yield very much that's useful information. And so then, why are we bothering with any of this? I mean, or, I think they keep looking at Clinton and being like, "Well, the Republicans paid a price politically," and I'm like, "That's because it was a fucking blowjob." Well, hold on a second. This is there, there's much different. more than that. Clinton was a very popular president. He was up at like 65 to 70% approval at the time. So he was very he was very well liked by large swaths of the population. But yeah, it was over a blowjob and lying about a blowjob. Um and but there was more than that. He, you know, that we know the Clinton course people shouldn't try to not talk and to, you know, obstruct, but at the, at the root of it was a blowjob. Yes. And people knew that. Yes. And they were like, what is happening? So when we're impeaching a president over that, that's what it was. No, no, I'm not saying that Bill Clinton was not in the wrong for some of the shit he did. Oh, no, he's garbage for sure. And that, that, you know, by the letter of the law, like, yeah, having those impeachment hearings was probably the right thing to do based on a lot of what he did. I don't think so, to be honest with you, because. Well, we what the initial that. investigation was about had nothing to do with Monica Lewinsky oh, at yeah. all. Well, that's out the at window all. now, right? Right. And so this argument that I'm hearing from Republicans about like, well, that's outside of the purview. That's outside of the purview. That's <laughs> out, it's like, holy fucking shit. What? Stop. Yeah. Let's well, talk most about people don't outside even remember of the purview that, right? of what the fuck happened. That is, mm-hmm. is literally not anything to do. it. He was in a deposition for something entirely separate. And in this deposition, they could ask him whatever they wanted because it wasn't a jury trial. And they asked him about his sex life. And he said, this is also an important point I think people don't understand. They said, did you have, I'm sorry, are you having sex with that woman or something? And he said, "Um, oh God, what is the quote that everybody always gets wrong? 
Depends on what your definition, definition of is, is. is. What he's what he was actually saying, if you take it in context instead of out of context, well, he's was a lawyer. currently no. <laughs> I am not having a sexual relationship with Monica Lewinsky. Like, because at the time they weren't. It no, they weren't. And so he was answering the question directly. That right now, no, they didn't say have you ever. They didn't say do you have a history of. They didn't say have you ever done. They just said are you. Well, and for that said, particular no. quote, for other things he lied. Because other things were like, did you ever do this or that? And he lied. Right. But that's besides the point. The, but anyway, the, it's the also point, yeah. The, the point is. If we elected a bunch of Democrats to do oversight, they have to do oversight. Yes. And it just doesn't work if Pelosi says, oh, you know, impeachment is just too politically divisive and we're going to piss off a lot of independent voters. And I don't care. No. You know who you're going to piss off even more? Like, I swear to you, if all of this political momentum that we've built up since Trump was elected and this blue wave that we created, if what happens as a result of all of that is the Pelosi's of the world come out and say, yes, I, I, I know that you're all very fired up and you were very angry that you had we had no control and now that we have control, we're going to do nothing. Then all of those people are going to pack it up and go home and never come back. There's this, there's a thought Because that literally it doesn't matter what you do. Trump is trolling her. He's goading them into impeachment. And I'm thinking like, okay, that might be true, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't. Right. And B, it doesn't mean he actually has a plan. Or if he does have a plan, it doesn't actually mean he's thought it through. Why are we still deferring to Trump like he's some sort of political genius who's maneuvering everybody? Right. And and it, it, it like it makes it seem like, oh yeah, oh be careful. Don't don't walk into the trap. It's like No, what, what, what trap? trap? He's a fucking moron. And <laughs> I swear to God, I swear to God it will be the death of our party and potentially our democracy if the Democratic Party does nothing about him while they're in power before 2020 and don't talk to me about elections. Yeah, because this is we what we already they, had an election. The whole yeah. point of that election, what we told everybody, why they had to come out. Well, now we're going to do Why it was critically crucial for them to come out and vote was to strike back and do oversight and figure out what really happened. And if we're not going to do that, I swear to you, people are going to give up all hope and we're done. It's over. There's no more anything. Yeah. And, and, and look. <laughs> This, the what what they've been spouting the past couple of weeks is like, well, this will all gets it'll all get solved in twenty twenty. Okay, no. first off, if in case we learned, I don't care whatever the numbers say now. There's no guarantee we're going to win in twenty twenty for a myriad reasons, including election tampering. Yeah, for a myriad reasons, voter disenfranchisement. Like you, you look, you have it within your power right now to do real oversight and get to the bottom of what really happened. of what really happened. I can't tell you it's going to be like that in, in six months or a year. No. Or when the election happens. No. I mean, that is one hell of a gamble. You think you're gambling by starting an impeachment inquiry? You're, the huge gamble is doing nothing. Yes. And, and but you know what? I, I, because I just, then the Democratic Party, like they have all this momentum. All these people went out and knocked on doors and voted and... And ran and and we got this coalition of all these amazing things. And then you're just like, oh, I did all of that work. And then it was basically the same as if Republicans were in charge. The other hypothesis is right? the other hypothesis that's gaining steam. Yeah, you're right. Is is that oh, Pelosi knows all this and she's playing this little game where it's like. Gosh, I really don't want to have to do this. You guys, impeachment is so serious. It's divisive. And we do not want to do that. That is such a huge deal. And like with with all the shit they're pulling with, you know, fucking Giuliani's 
uh, shenanigans and them defying subpoenas and Barr not showing up. They're like, well, they didn't give us a choice. We had to do it. And it's like, okay, maybe, but I don't care how you do it. Just get Just there. Just get it fucking done. Get it done. I swear to God. Even if, I don't even care if the president gets impeached, to be honest with you. I don't care. I care that for the future of democracy and of our party and of any progressive politics ever existing ever again, that we at least do something, that we at least say, you elected us to do this thing and we're going to go do it. Yeah, I mean, remember, we're, Pelo- we're, we're Pelosi fans, as yep. our Bernie supporting friends would tell you, we are the neoliberal shill party hack. We're not, but... <laughs> not really, but... Not at all, actually. But, but that's that's what they would call us, and, and overall, we wanted Pelosi to be speaker, but we will call her out on this. And again, maybe she is playing this long... Game. If anybody's going to be playing ten-dimensional chess, I'd say it's Pelosi, not Trump. Obviously, um, but you know, if she is playing this but game, she's also an old-school Democrat who still believes that the institutions are what they were, and I don't think they are. I think that's fair and that's too. A, that's a fair criticism. Like I don't, if I don't know if she, I don't know if she's progressed enough to understand that we're not playing the same game that we were playing in 1996. You know, I mean. It's a different world entirely. And I think does, she the politics does. doesn't work the same way as it used to. And we're not waiting until the 2020 election. And I swear to God, if you do, like, it's over. But that's another weird thing is why would you telegraph that? Why would you come out and say impeachment's off the table? You could say, like, look, we're, we may not be ready to right now, but everything's on the table. We got to see if they're going to cooperate with these investigations and what we come up with. But, like, right away, remember that a few weeks ago or after the, you know, the the redacted Mueller report came out, they were like, no, no, no impeachment, no impeachment. We don't want to talk about it. And I was like, why are they doing this? Who are they listening to? Is it James Carville and Nancy Pelosi sitting in a room? I don't know. Like, that's like, I don't want that. It didn't, I don't want that. It didn't make sense to me, but the one hypothesis that seems to be working is like, we have to position ourselves. Like we abs- we do not want to do it that way. It won't seem political and it, our hand will be forced into having to impeach. And it's like, Maybe. I, I, I don't think it makes a difference. Marge in Iowa doesn't, she's not going to read the political nuance of this situation. <laughs> no, I agree. Either going to impeach me or not, do it or don't. But and like if I said, if, if we get there, we get there fine. I don't, I don't care what, you know, dance you did to get there. But it's we need to get pointless. there. It's pointless. Just do it. The people who want you to do it, just want you to do it. Well, the, the people who aren't going to understand the difference between you didn't want to or you did want to aren't going to understand the difference. And the people who yeah. don't want you to do it are going to hate you. No, it wouldn't so have made a difference. They might as well have just did it from day one when yeah. they were sworn in as a new Congress. Yes. Started impeaching. Everybody hearings. expected them to. Even Marge in Iowa. Right? Oh, they're going to impeach him now, huh? Oh, I guess they're going to impeach him, huh? Yeah, <laughs> we are. And she's not going to notice the difference other than, gosh, why aren't they impeaching him already, huh? Maybe they just don't have the balls, huh? Right? I yeah. mean, maybe she's from Wisconsin, but you know what I mean? <laughs> maybe like, they, they don't have don't, the evidence. Maybe, maybe. No, they haven't impeached him yet. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe it is a witch hunt. Yeah. No, Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think they're either misreading the situation or they're being too cute by half yeah. with the way they're approaching it. Yeah. But I don't really care as long as they get there. My worry is... Get there like, when, though? Don't get there in 20 fucking 20. Well, that's my worry. Don't is, do is that. that they're, they're, they're like, well, we got to play out all these half measures. We're going to have these hearings and issue these subpoenas. We're going to stop just short of impeachment. And hopefully the courts will side with us and hopefully it won't take too long. And then we're going to be into summer next year. And everybody's campaign season. And it's going to seem hyper political. Yeah. And the only thing that that, and they win because everybody's going to go. You waited until 2020 during the election to impeach him. That's that's 
entirely partisan. Well, well, no, they it won't. It looks like we have no evidence you could have done it from January 20th of 2019. You waited until the middle of campaign season to impeach the sitting president who's running for re-election. All this is is a partisan witch hunt and we lose the whole goddamn thing. It's worse than that because they, you're right and they won't. They'll be like, it's too close to the election. Uh, we're going to throw up our hands and say, well, I hope we win. And I then nobody's going to care about the Democratic Party or but what is, Trump what is or that anything say? else. What does that say? I, how is that the best case scenario? If OK, let's say let's say this. This is how it goes down. Right. They let's say they don't start impeachment hearings ever. And we get into 2020 and and Trump has ignored every subpoena and Don McGahn has ignored every subpoena. And, you know, Bill Barr started some bullshit investigation into Biden and Hillary, and that, that doesn't go anywhere. And fine, we win. You know, Kamala Harris is the new president, or Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden, whoever is the new president. Great, we did it. We defeated him. And then, you know, of course, Trump is going to say it's rigged and whatever, and who knows where that goes. But the point is, if we go by that script, you know what we've said? We've said everything Trump did to win in 2016 is fine. It's fine. Yeah, we beat him because we, we we didn't like him. So we beat him at the polls. But you know what? Everything he did is fine. And literally every standard that's ever been set forth for the president is gone. That's right. And literally anybody can run and do whatever they want and any criminal tactics they want and any anything. So the remedy is if somebody... Start taking money from foreign governments. Start selling. Just fucking sell the presidency at this point to the it, highest bidder. Just the, fucking sell it. And what, nobody will investigate. Nobody will be impeached because it doesn't matter. Or, or we'll investigate, but we won't really do anything about it. Right. And like that, that is essentially what Trump did. And the message we're sending, the message we're sending just by saying, oh, no, don't worry about it. We'll just beat him in 2020 is it's fine. It's okay. It's fine. This is the new normal. This is the new normal. This is fine. You know, I don't You're like allowed it. to do this. It I is. don't like it, but it is what it is. It, 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 yeah, it is what it is. We don't like it. So I guess we better, you know, vote him out. And it's like, no, you have a job to do. Yes. It's called oversight. Yes. It's called upholding the Constitution. Yep. And if you're not willing to do that, then. I, you know what? Maybe we need a new fucking speaker. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, 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 I'm, new leadership entirely. I'm willing to entertain the idea that this is some sort of long game, nuanced. She better get on it by this summer. Before. Period. They better get on it very, very soon. Uh, and I don't believe for a second that they're playing Trump's game or stuff. I don't care whatever you hear on Chuck Todd's stupid show. Okay, like all of a sudden now we're going to say Trump is a genius that's manipulating everybody, that he's Emperor Palpatine. Give me a fucking break. Seriously. I mean, stop. Right. Stop. Stop. He's just being intransigent and stubborn. And we're like, oh, my God, what does that mean? And it's like he it means that he's a crooked businessman who's never had to do anything anybody said and always got away with it. And now you're proving that he can do that yet again in the White House. He's (laughs) just always gotten away with shit because that's how fucking rich white dudes do. And so you're like, you can't. But this is different. Well, you're not making it different right now. That's he's not a brilliant genius. He's just like, I can just say no. And then people are like, well, you actually can't. And he's like, watch me. And then we're like, oh, he said no. It's like, what the fuck? No, this is not how this works. Stop, yeah. stop. Yeah, and Armando's been really good on this ranting about it, and and like they're right, and and you know what? We again, <laughs> we don't play favorites here. Like the people we like or respect, when they're wrong, we're going to say they're wrong. And I think Pelosi and Democratic leadership has been wrong on this. Uh, let's see if they're just they're playing some sort of long game. I you know, hate that too, though. I'm going to call them out on that too. I think that's bullshit. Fucking do it already. The nuance is lost by everybody but you. So just fucking do it. Yeah. And do not wait until 2020 or it is 
there's no fucking point and we're just oh it's over the last few minutes before the break you want to talk about biden do I ever want to talk about Biden? <laughs> He's the new Bernie for you. Like, those are our two front writers, right? But, but God. She's anyway. my face right now. Biden is still very much the front runner. He's leading all the polls. He's raising a lot. He, but he hasn't really been out there and dead, dead, said or done much. Yeah, he's just out there saying some nonsense. He's literally like... I'm Obama, basically. Yeah. <laughs> is, his, is his platform. Well, more like, hey, I worked for Obama. I love Vote Dick Cheney. Me. He said that. I yeah. love Dick Cheney. We get along very well. I think he's a good man. He's a good Dick Cheney. He's a good... The Penguin? I mean, uh, here's he's the, literally like a superhero movie villain. And our front runner's like, he's great. And I won't apologize for Anita Hill. And climate change, I don't think that we're getting... I think we're getting a little out of hand here. We need to find a middle here. ground. And, yeah. uh, you know... Um, Maybe abortion's fine or not fine. Like, I don't know what he's doing. How the fuck is he plan on winning the Democratic primary with this? Just look at this picture of me with fucking sunglasses on with the Obama. That's not. Fuck you, man. Well, he's winning. Fuck you. But here's why he's winning. Um, he's he, he's winning because people believe, at least for now, that he is the best chance of beating Trump. That is why he's got all the support. I, I don't think anybody out there is thinking, wow, this platform Joe Biden has of milk toast, uh, non-specific nothing. I don't have time to tell you my platform on healthcare. Yeah. It's sort of indicative if you look at it from a side angle of like, people really want to be Trump. They're willing to vote for this garbage guy just because they think he has the best chance to win. And again, we're so far out. When we get into debates and Joe has to go out there and talk and the other candidates have time to talk and it, well, it'll take some time, but people are going to like, oh, we can do better than Joe. I hope. I want to talk about what you and I talked about at brunch today, which was this idea oh, we're that we're such there's millennials. We went out for brunch. That's why we don't have a house. That's why we don't have a house, obviously. We went for brunch. <laughs> God. My mimosa was $3. Um, that's a mortgage, right? It's about what a mortgage costs. Um, In 1912? No, we were talking about how you know, all these videos are are coming up of these compilation videos of him. Old school Joe basically sounding like Trump. 20, 30 years ago talking yeah. about how like these black teenagers are super predators. Build that are a unrehabilitable to keep and, Mexican drugs out. And like, and... yeah, all of this, uh, he sounds just like Trump. And you were making the argument that like, but that was kind of mainstream Democratic Party back then. And I'm like, that's totally true. Certainly, lots of Democrats said things like that. It's not a defense. It's but none just, of those people are running for president of the Democratic Party in 2020. That's right. That's and none right. Of, most of those people are not in office anymore at all. Many are dead. Most of them are dead. So will he be soon? <laughs> and so that may have been okay back then, but it is not okay now. And what I'm not hearing from him at all is... Hey, look, I really want to talk about all these videos of me standing on the Senate floor saying really horrible, awful, racist, garbage bullshit. That was a different time. I'm a different man. If I, you know, I understand things differently now. I, I've completely changed and he has zero interest in doing that. He won't even apologize for Anita Hill properly. So I can hear well, you saying, well, everybody was like that back then. And I'm like, yeah, and none of those people are running for president. So fuck that. That that was a different time, and I don't want to live in that time. No, I, I want to live in this time. I, I so agree. I don't want the man that said that to be my president now, even if he's changed. And I haven't heard him say that he has. I don't want him to be my president because he lives in a different time. My my point is actually more this, right? Um, Hillary Clinton 
we know that the Bernie people mostly dug up some very problematic things that she had said yes. in the past, right? Yes. But it's like a tenth of the shit Biden said. Yep. He was the sponsor. Like you had to go of the crime. You had to go looking for some sh- shitty things Hillary said. You Biden, can just go watch. Just C-SPAN. pull up any tape. Any tape of Biden before, talking on the Senate floor before two thousand. Yeah. In the nineties, Biden talking on the, the Senate floor. Real problematic. Yeah. Racist garbage nonsense. It's just everywhere. He can't win. Yeah. And and, and right now though, I guess he, if he wins, we'll just run that in Trump territory and maybe they'll vote for him. Uh, yeah, well, that's what people are thinking, right? God, no. That's what Biden is thinking. Biden is thinking, I, he's, he's taking the Bernie uh, kind of angle, like, I can win these people over. I'd just be like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do- how racist I am. I'm going to do the less regressive tax things, and I'm going to fuck these stupid tariffs, but everything else, eh, I'm going to be wishy-washy on it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's enough to win. And it might be, and that's really depressing. And it almost makes me think like, hey, we're going to have our passports in hand in case- 2020 doesn't turn out the way we want. And that that might mean either Trump or Biden, depending on what Congress looks like, right? And 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 Biden might just be like, okay, I'm president, and now, you know, whatever you say, AOC and the new people all sign, um, I would hope. But it is not inspiring. I, no. I'm sorry. It's I'm fucking not, depressing. I know I'm not saying I'm going to vote for a third party. No. I'm not saying Jill Stein. I'm not saying, you know, have a fart in or any of this stupid shit. Like, if, if Biden's the guy, we're going to help push him over the goddamn finish line. You I'll know, drag just, him across the goddamn finish line, kicking and screaming if I have to. But yes. please don't make me do that. Yeah. And we and, and it's like this thing where he's our savior. Like, like there aren't other qualified candidates that can be Trump. Like... Aren't like eighty year old white dudes? Like, can we please not? There was a poll can the other. There was not? a poll the other day, and every single candidate was beating Trump. I think except for Warren, and they were like tied. And it's like, no, we don't need fucking Biden. No, I don't want him. I don't. Uh, no, I don't either. He is almost last on my list. He's last on my list. And I know some old and Bernie. Uh, they're tied. Bernie and Biden are tied for me. The bees. Yeah. They're just at the so bottom. It, it's reversed for, well, uh, what's her name from Hawaii? Tulsi oh, Gabbard God, she's is, not even on the list. She's <laughs> right lower. No, I'll just move. <laughs> she has also no chance. Yeah, no, obviously. She's not even on the list for me. No. No. It's like, uh, anyway, so we're depressed that Biden is the front runner right now. But again, I still just think it's around. a product of, you gotta of wait. name recognition yes. and the fact that God, we want to be Trump so badly. I don't know about any of these new people, but Biden could. He's established. Fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll vote for him. He's the guy. And then, like, we got like a whole year till we're even talking about primaries coming up soon. Right. There's plenty of time for people to realize, like, no, no we can get behind. Not Biden. This person could win. Kamala. Any we could get behind Warren. We could win. get behind Buttigieg. We could get behind. Uh, Stacey Abrams says she might get in the race. That could be a game changer. God, I would love that so much. Um, I would yeah, literally go campaign for her. I, uh, it's kind of late to do that, but now she's... I don't think it is. Maybe she's looking at the polls and seeing Biden's head and she's like, oh, no. No, no, no. Offering her <laughs> feet before anything. What a fucking asshole. Anyway, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get Colorado intensive. Yeah. So stick around for that. I, if you don't live here and you don't care about living here, there is some interesting stuff. I think you're going to want to hear it. Like we legalized magic mushrooms, guys. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. We'll All talk right. about that in a minute. Be right back.
Hello, and welcome back to Reverend Testimony. Before we get into some Colorado stuff, uh, Rachel has some stuff she wants to talk about, about uh, Chelsea Manning, right? I do. I have an update on this. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> Chelsea Manning, as you know, um, has been held in uh, prison since uh, March for failing to, or refusing rather, to cooperate with a grand jury uh, subpoena in regard to the 2010 disclosure of documents to WikiLeaks and to Julian Assange. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's been released, and that is all great and good, except that because the grand, the only reason she's been released is because the grand jury um, was disposed of; they had done their work. Mm-hmm. And then her legal team got wind that there will be another grand jury convening next week in which she will refuse to participate and will be further locked up. So for those of you out there, and I know that there are some of you and certainly people in my life who think that um, we were maybe wrong or misled or maybe we just like just hate the government so much that we just were trying to come up with reasons that, no. Everything that we said was true. The government wants her in jail. (laughs) And they're gonna go about that by any means that they can. And this is an absolute example of that. Um, They aren't allowed to hold her under contempt charges after the grand jury uh, uh, disconvenes. I don't know actually the word for it, but you know what I mean, right? Terminates. Dissolves, terminates. And so they had to let her out. And then they're like, well, let's cook up a different grand jury, right? To yeah. do a different thing. And grand juries yeah. are just not regulated. And they're, they're just not, they're secret. And we just don't get to know anything about them. So they can do this as long as they want. They can just reconvene different grand juries for the same thing. There's no double jeopardy protection here. She's not being charged with a crime. She's not being held for a crime she's not been convicted of a crime i mean she was but then she her sentence was commuted and so they can just do this in perpetuity they can just keep putting her in jail for contempt and then mm-hmm. the grand jury dissolves and then they'll just hold a different grand jury the the, it, the the intent of this is so nefarious and so obvious right yeah it has nothing to do with we really need her testimony about what happened back then remember that there's entire transcripts of everything that she knows that she disclosed to a military tribunal and that she served seven years in jail for. Mm -hmm. They know everything that she knows about this time. The purpose of this is to, one, keep her in jail, or if she decides to cooperate, to go after people that are political dissidents that they would like to go after. And she is not allowed to say anything untrue, and she is not allowed to not say anything. So fuck them. I hate them. And the story is not over. Yeah. And really, please keep an eye on this, because this is an absolute abuse of government power. It is an absolute abuse of the grand jury system as it was originally intended. Um, And it's an absolute abuse of government power to silence political dissidents. And it is absolutely the Trump administration (coughs) being mad at Obama for commuting Mm -hmm. her sentence. Yeah, remember, Trump was all pissy about that. Back in jail. They just want her to be in jail. And I just don't want her to be incarcerated any further. She has served her sentence. She would like to move on with her life. And she's being monetarily damaged. She's being physically damaged. She's already had complications 
from her incarceration so shortly after her gender reassignment surgery. Um, the jail <clears throat> itself has said that they have <coughs> excuse me, inadequate uh, resources to treat her. Um, she's offered to pay for her own uh, doctors to come in so that they can properly treat her and properly assess her medical condition that has been denied by the prison. Um, she's at real risk if she goes back in. And this is a serious thing. Um, and it's really heartbreaking and um, I would just again ask all of you to please donate to her legal fund um, and and boost this as much as you can talk about it to your friends put it on social media get the word out because I think people think somehow she's complicit in like the Russian thing with the election this has <clears throat> nothing to do with any of that this has to do with the Trump administration being mad at Obama for letting her out mm-hmm and for thinking that she's a spy for um, exposing George W. Bush's war crimes. So mm-hmm. please just keep this on top of your mind and in your hearts. It's very close to us, and we really would appreciate everybody's support. <clears throat> okay. So moving on to uh, some local Colorado stuff, and I guess I'll introduce it now as we'll be sending this to Kagro in the morning. So good morning, Kagro. We are going to talk about some stuff here in Colorado. What do you want to get started with? I mean, I think we should talk about the, the national news that Colorado had yet another school shooting this week. Yes. Um, it's this STEM school in Highlands Ranch, which is in Douglas County, uh, the most affluent um, county in the state. And these two students came in and started shooting. Um an interesting fact that the media is not really talking about is that there was a labor dispute over the um, school resource officer. Yeah, I saw and that. so they decided not to uh, renew that contract in the 2018-2019 school year. So there was no school resource officer at the time of the shooting. Um, there was a security guard though, and there's an investigation into the possibility that he may have injured students. By yes, shooting. Correct. That a bullet went off and actually hit a student. Um, this is really hard for us, you know? Like, we live here, and um, people I work with had kids that were in that school. Um, and we just can't stop being in the news for shootings in Colorado. And it's fucking heartbreaking. And. The really extraordinary news out of all of this is a couple of things. One, um, so eight students were injured. Um, one student was murdered. Um, and the reason that that, while extraordinary and horrifying, is so low is that the students themselves um, attacked the shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, the student who died... Uh, was one of them. Um, He just sort of hurled his body at one of the shooters and was shot and killed. But the result of the actions of a couple of students who attacked the shooters is that um, only one person died and eight people are injured. And so when the NRA tells you that only good guys with guns can stop bad guys with guns, (laughs) um, a bunch of middle schoolers stopped... High schoolers in this case. Middle and high school. Um stopped bad guys with guns by 
hurling their literal bodies at the shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a bunch of hay is going to be made about how one of the shooters happens to be a transgender man. Mm. Um, the court dead named him and misgendered him and then immediately corrected, which was good. Um, and the other is a minor. We have yet to see whether or not George Brockler, who is the district attorney out of that county who also oversaw the Aurora Theater shooting, um, will charge him as a minor or not, um, as an adult. Um, our communities are definitely grieving, and then there's been some controversy about what happened at the vigil. So um, right after the shooting, I think it was the day after, there was a vigil that was held at the school, and it was um, supposed to be like this interfaith vigil honoring the survivors and the the dead kid. Um, and Michael Bennett, Senator Bennett, who's also running for president, and uh, newly elected Congressman Jason Crow showed up at the event, were invited, I would say, to the event, and started speaking. And so instead of the event being a vigil, it turned out to be more like a rally. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the students got really upset. Um, there were no students that were invited to speak. Um, no, like, family survivors. Like, nobody that was directly impacted. So it really wasn't a vigil. It was really more like a rally. And the students got really upset, and a lot of them walked out. And they left, um, and they went into the parking lot where there was a lot of news media. And they started, like, yelling about it. Like, this is not what this was supposed to be. This is bullshit. Like, this is not about politics. This is about this dead kid, Kendrick, and like, and the people who are in the hospital still. And, you know, um, so that got national news media attention. And um, the vigil was um, organized by the Brady folks. Mm -hmm. Um, The Brady bill is the sort of famous um, gun control control people and bill that is a whole thing we can get into at some other time, but um, they apologized. The next day, the students reconvened in the um, gymnasium and finished the vigil without politicians and news media. Um, And there's been some weird lefty stuff that's been happening about this that I just want to quash down and and scold some people about. Yeah, there's been quite a bit of controversy. We want to try to clear some things up based on at least what we know. Yeah. So there's been some chatter Um, from the left about how this was a stunt and it was staged by the NRA to like protest this thing and there is absolutely no evidence of that to speak of. It really appears to be exactly what I just said which is you know politicians came because they're politicians and they wanted to talk about gun control and I think the nuance here is something that we need to parse out which is Absolutely, when these things happen, we should be talking about gun control. And mm-hmm. in our state, apparently, we really fucking need to talk about gun control. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think a vigil at the high school where the shooting happened the next day was the time and place to do that. And I'm not trying to sound like a right-wing hack here and being like, it's not the time. But really, it's not. These kids came because they were traumatized by two of their classmates coming in and shooting up their school and what they wanted to do was process that trauma and grieve the loss of their classmate. And the defense from the people who organized the vigil was, oh, we didn't have time to have student speakers. We didn't have time to schedule that. And it's like, 
okay, you, you didn't have time for that, but you had time to schedule with a senator and a congressman? But you didn't reach out to anybody who was directly affected by this to see if they might want to say something. That's outrageous. Now, in the days following a shooting, I think it's perfectly appropriate for Michael Bennett and Jason Crow to go on Rachel Maddow and talk about gun control. Mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly reasonable for gun control advocates to talk about gun control. I do not think it's appropriate for them to go to the school in front of the students when they're trying to mourn and deal with their trauma to talk about gun control. That was not the time or place to do that. And that is a nuance that people are going to mishear me and say, oh, it's never the time and you sound like them. It's not what I'm saying. It's like going to the funeral of someone who got murdered to talk about domestic violence. You don't do it at the fucking funeral. That's not what the funeral's for. The funeral's for the people who were directly affected to mourn and grieve and process their trauma. Now, should we talk about domestic violence after a murder happens as a result of domestic violence? Absolutely, we should. That's the perfect time to do it. Maybe just not at the fucking funeral. (laughs) Let's talk about Highlands Ranch a little bit and why some of those kids and maybe some of the adults or parents that were there might have those views that would not be the warmest warmest reception for a gun control spiel by Bennett and and Crow. Sure. So Highlands Ranch is in Douglas County, as I said. It's one of the most, it is the most affluent county in the state. And conservative. And conservative. It's very red. Um, They definitely are not in favor of gun control um, and they vote Republican pretty overwhelmingly. Um, And I think, I don't want to, I do not want to paint these kids as as being political in this moment because I don't think that they were. But I think that probably a lot of their parents have strong views about the Second Amendment that they've heard. And I think it might have been particularly offensive to them to have, because they may hold the same views as their parents, as most of us did in high school, um, not me, but... Most of the people I knew didn't really start critically thinking about politics or policy until after they didn't live with their parents anymore, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so they may hold those same views, whether they continue to hold them into adulthood or not. Um, And it may have been particularly offensive to them to have two very liberal Democratic politicians at a federal level come into their community and start talking about the need for gun control. so I do think there's a little bit of a political aspect to it, but I'm certainly not saying that the kids had any, um, they had an absolute right to be offended by what happened. And it was a real bad look for Democrats in this state especially. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about what the bright, bright blue um, political apparatus in Colorado has accomplished in their first legislative session. And some of that's about gun control. And we're going to talk about some of the backlash about that. But this was a this was a bad move. I agree. I mean, it just was. It and just, and this is not the place for that. I know a lot of listeners aren't going to agree with that, and that's okay. And you know, we live here, and we're sensitive to certain things. And and there's a time to talk about it, and it, it's a time is right after it. But having a senator come give a speech about gun control when you were just traumatized by a mass shooting, and it's supposed to be a vigil, no. That's as bad as the NRA coming in right after a mass shooting and having a rally. Okay. Don't you think? Yeah. It's not that different. I mean, after Columbine, the NRA literally came into Littleton and had a rally about gun rights. Mm-hmm. Like, in like a week after. And it was 
roundly criticized mm-hmm. across partisan lines. Yeah. This also should be. And these are our guys. But this was a bad move. Okay. And that is our view on it. And you are free to disagree. And you are free to tell us you disagree. And we can discuss or debate that. But uh, that is that is our view. That's and, my view. And obviously, as you know, we are very, very pro-gun control and pro-common sense gun legislation. Absolutely. Uh, in any event, moving on to some other Just stuff. Just also like pro-kids and trauma processing. But anyway. So... As you might remember, Colorado um, has a Democrat. We, for the first time since World War II, I learned today, um, we not only hold both the House and the Senate, but we also hold every executive office in the state. Mm-hmm. And here are some highlights from some things that we that they passed. Um, so the first one is about gun control, and what they call it is the Extreme Risk Protection Order. But it's sort of known locally as the red flag bill. Um, And basically, it allows a judge to order that a person's guns be taken away if they're deemed a risk. Mm -hmm. It calls for sheriffs to get involved uh, by taking these petitions to judges and saying, like, this person is a risk and we need to take their guns away. And also on the back uh, side um, in terms of seizing their guns. Mm -hmm. Um, As a result of this, uh, there is... There's going to be a whole bunch of legal battles, um, and there is already a recall effort for Rochelle Galinda and yeah. Jared Polis. Yeah, in light of the recent shooting, I don't know how much steam that's still going to have. I agree. Um, if you might remember, we talked about how we've had a lot of struggle in Colorado with passing legislation about oil and gas. Oil and gas is one of the largest industries in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a, a referendum on the ballot in 2018 that failed about how much space should be between like houses and schools and parks mm-hmm. and rigging equipment, which failed. Um, so they passed this thing that um, is complicated, but like as a basic, just very, very basic rundown. Um, I'm going to quote from a Nine News article here. Um, the importance of oil and gas production and public health will no longer be on equal ground. The environment, wildlife, and public health would take precedence over oil and gas production. Imagine that. Uh, Number two, um, it just changes the makeup and mission of the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, um, and it will change their uh, thing to regulate oil and gas activities because prior to that, it said foster the development of oil and gas. <laughs> right. Um, and it will also not longer be just the only regulatory body. The Air Quality Control Commission, the State Board of Health, the Water Quality Control Commission, Hazardous and Solid Waste, Solid Waste Commission, and local governments will all be given control over respective portions of each and oil, oil and gas well. So there's going to be just a shit ton of regulation, or a shit ton of oversight, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be tons of pushback from that. Um, it's the largest lobbying industry in our state, and it's going to be complicated. This is one of my favorites. Comprehensive human sexuality education. Oh, boy. Um, we already kind of did this in 2013. Mm-hmm. And so this doesn't change it a whole lot other than it There's talks a lot about of language about consent. Consent. Yes. That's like the big addition. Now, what's interesting is... All the things that the people that were against this and that lobbied against it 
were lobbying against were already addressed in the 2013 bill and are already currently law. <laughs> and they lied and made up the, they the, did. a bunch of new stuff. They said like, this is going to, it's going to force it, teachers to, to it's gonna talk about the sex lives show of Show kindergartners people. diagrams of gay sex. Yes. And things like that. Yeah. Which like, A, no, that has nothing <laughs> to do with this. B, LGBTQ sex education is already a requirement under the 2013 law and has nothing to do with talking about how gay sex works. Mm-hmm. Just acknowledges that LGBTQ kids exist right. and like that they have sex. Mm-hmm. This is really about consent. Yes. Um, but anyway, that. But Weasley white guys in bow ties are out there yelling about you're, they're going to teach your kid how to have gay sex and like yeah. do exhibitions in the in the classroom, like, you know, from a Monty Python movie or something. Right. Um, this one's kind of boring. It's It made national news, so I guess I'll talk about it. But remember that kid whose lemonade stand got shut down? Yeah. yeah. Now you can't do that anymore. Kids can have lemonade stands. Kids can stands. have lemonade stands. It's, it's a very fluffy bill that who cares? Yeah, it's got bipartisan support. Yay. It did. Yay for bipartisan um, This one is very near and dear to my heart. Sexual assault while in custody or detained. Yeah. And, and it, I can't Republicans fought against this. This is fucking crazy. I, well, I just, okay, go ahead. So I'm just going to read directly from this because I think it's a really good explanation. Mm -hmm. Um, It closes a loophole in law involving sexual assault while in custody or detained. Current law said victims cannot consent to sex with an officer while, quote, detained in jail, prison (laughs) or hospital. But that does not cover anywhere or everywhere a potential victim may interact with an officer of the law. HB 1250 adds three more instances where an officer cannot claim consent as a defense against a sex assault charge. One, when the peace officer encounters the victim for the purpose of law enforcement or in the performance of the officer's duties. So let's say, for example, my house got broken into, which it did. Mm-hmm. And Officer Barefoot, which was literally his name, came to my house <laughs> and investigated. Yeah, if he raped on. me in my home, that would be fine. Well, because he would, he would claim he would claim it was, it was consensual, consensual, and then the only witness saying no is you. Yeah, and so that basically, would be fine. yeah, yeah, that would be fine because I'm not in a jail, mm-hmm. prison, or hospital. Yeah, right. So basically, this says when you're responding to a call and you're invited in, you, it can't be like like a porno or something where all of a right. sudden there's quote consensual sex with the stranger you just met who just been traumatized. Right. Number two, when the peace officer knows at the time of the unlawful sexual conduct that the victim is the subject of an investigation. <laughs> so you can't be like interviewing witnesses or interviewing a suspect. And Admit just, you like, did the murder. No? Okay, well, let's, let's bang. Let's fuck. And then maybe I won't charge you. <laughs> Three, God. when the peace officer makes any show of authority in connection with the unlawful sexual conduct. The other <laughs> big change, get this. It would classify sexual assault by a police officer as a felony instead of a misdemeanor. It literally was a misdemeanor mm-hmm. for a cop to rape someone. Mm-hmm. It was a misdemeanor. And uh, Republicans fought this. The but they fuck? lost. You'd think this one would have bipartisan support, too. It but basically does. There doesn't seem to be any like lobbying backlash, but it didn't win like with large bipartisan support. No. But there's no like lobbying efforts against it. Yeah, it's not like the Cokes were like, we have to um, protect the rapist cops. Right. Yeah. This one. Those were just regular Republicans. This one explains the bill I got yesterday. Oh. Out of network healthcare services. Mm. Its aim is to help curtail surprise medical bills, a problem facing many Coloradans that was highlighted by the Nine News Wants to Know investigation. Lean on me. Including Rachel. So I got this bill yesterday for like $240. And I'm looking at it, and it's from a collection agency. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? So I turn it over, and it's from this visit to St. Anthony's Hospital in 2015. 
I was fully covered by my insurance. It was an in-network hospital. I went there for an emergency. I paid my copay. And I get this bill for $240 because one of the doctors that saw me was an out-of-network doctor working in my in-network hospital. And I have to pay him an additional fee for him seeing me, which no one told me. No one asked me, would you like to see an in-network doctor instead? No one said, this is going to be an additional cost. They just send me a fucking bill. Mm-hmm. So this closes the loophole on that, which I think is super important. Hey, you're never going to guess which party <clears throat> fought against it. Oh, look at that. <laughs> um, also, I would like to note that um, this has been in the work in Colorado for years. Hey, even Trump is, about, is even about Trump s- is saying, hey, this is pretty bad. We should do something about Six, this. seven years, it's not yeah. made it out. Of now, whether him and Republicans in session. Washington actually will, I don't know. But even Trump got in on that this week and said, this kind of fucked up. It is. Yeah. Um, we have a revenge porn law ah. that passed, which is interesting. Um, that one was pretty bipartisan as far as I remember, right? It and, is, yeah. Okay. So it it's it's interesting because it's got an interesting history, which I'm not going to get into because it's kind of running out of time. But um, So instead of criminalizing the practice of posting intimate images of someone online or elsewhere without their consent... This provides for civil recourse against the perpetrator if the person can prove the following three things. So if you share a nude, right, that your partner sends you or your mm-hmm. whoever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it does not provide for criminal charges, unfortunately, but it does provide for civil recourse so you can sue them. Good. One, the victim did not consent to the photo being shared. Two, the image was private. And three, the victim is identifiable in the photo. How do you prove the first two? That's that's the worrisome part for me. It's going to well, be hard. That's the thing. It's not criminal. It's civil. I know, and the bar is lower. So, but, but so they even kind in of a have civil to prove case, that you did consent. If it, yeah, okay, right. I see what Show you're me when I said I, you could share this with your buddies in your frat house. Yeah. When did I say that that was okay? It might not matter to a jury or a judge, but the way I know, I think it will. Okay, I, mean, I, I hope think so. it will for sure. Um, and then it, there's a lot about like how that happens. Um, and then there's a weird like caveat for parents who share pictures of their kids, as long as it's not for like sexual gratification or commercial gain, which is like, okay. Um, <laughs> I don't even know. The statutory damages are not to exceed $10,000. And then there's all this other, like you can, feel, anyway, it's, but it's good. It's, it's good. good. It's good. But uh, anything else? Um, Yes, conversion therapy. Yeah. Conversion therapy. For one. minors specifically because we can't prevent adults from doing harm to themselves mm-hmm. emotionally by going through this. But it specifically says anyone under the age of 18 who cannot legally consent to conversion therapy. And we've been trying to get this through for ages and ages and ages. And not until we had the entire state capitol and the governor's mansion were we able to yep. finally pass It's this. failed every session since we started trying to do it. Um, there's a safe haven law in Colorado, which um, just says that if like a kid has a baby, they have up to drop 72 hours no questions asked. to drop it off at a fire station or a hospital. Yeah, this law adds now that you, we can teach kids about that. We're requiring than, schools to provide yeah, information that that's true. Rather than just finding out by us. Because we just don't want internet. babies in garbage cans. Yeah. Just drop it off at the firehouse. No one's going to say shit. It's fine. Of course, Republicans don't like that because then they think, well, now that just gives license for kids to have babies and drop them off at hospitals because every kid wants to do that for fun. Yeah, that's what kids love. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
And the final thing is limits on job applicant criminal history inquiries, which is super important. That is really interesting. I read that one almost fully, and I think it's going to get tied up in the courts for a while. It might, but I think it's important that um, employers with 11 or more employees will be barred from asking about criminal history on an initial job application. Okay. Um, I think that they still get to run a background check but it's the ban the box thing where like you don't just every resume that or every like application that you look at that has that box check you just throw it in the garbage Mm -hmm. you have to actually like meet the person and then and then decide to hire them and then run a criminal background history and then you're like oh i've actually gotten to know this person as an individual you know maybe and it seems they they committed this misdemeanor whatever doesn't mean i don't want to hire them necessarily rather than you just throw it in the fucking garbage that's the hope but it is i don't know in in practice if you do a background check something bad comes back no matter how well they did on an interview whether you're going to hire them but that's a you know it's a better it's a step forward it's a it's a step it's a step forward for people who um have come out of the criminal justice system and are looking to restart their lives i agree yeah yeah so this i guess all of this is to say these are the things that we've done in colorado and why have we been able to do them (laughs) because elections matter because we elected a bunch of democrats and this we got all this done in how many months has it been Four or five. Um, so the first legislative session of 2019. So in the first session since January 20th to uh, May, I think it was like last Thursday. So in about four months. Yes. So you know if you're out there, oh, I don't, I don't vote in the state and local elections. It's pointless. It doesn't matter. Whatever. It's no big deal. Like no, it matters. It very much matters. And and we- and, and I think it's an interesting case study for on a national level. What happens when Democrats get to govern mm-hmm. unrestricted when they just get to say, here's what's best for us. Progress. They don't take away your guns unless you're violent and dangerous. They don't want to ban everybody's guns. They don't want to force people to have abortions or have death panels or anything else that you've been led to believe. People the gas do. companies aren't going out of business. Even no, though that's what they're claiming. They're just looking out for their constituents. They're looking yeah. out for the people who fucking live here. And I think it's a really interesting model to look at what happens if we could possibly do the same thing at a national level. What Democrats could accomplish if they had the backbone of the Colorado State Legislature mm-hmm. and if they had the power that the Colorado State Legislature Or if we controlled has. a bunch more state houses. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. It's so important to vote in local and state elections. It literally is impacting my daily life. Yeah, well, much, much more in certain senses than the national election. Absolutely. And real quick before we sign off for KGRO, I want to talk about the uh, recent uh, municipal local, election. local yes. elections we just had. So Denver, the city, had a municipal election on May 7th. Um, we do all mail-in ballots. So we mm-hmm. got our mail-in ballot like two weeks before that. Mm-hmm. But it was due on May 7th. Mm-hmm. And really interesting things happened. Um, I'm going to yell at Denver for a minute. <laughs> we have a urban camping ban which I'm sure we've talked about previously. Mm. What does that mean, Trav? Urban camping. That means homeless people. Because uh, they're camping, right? That's what they're doing. They don't they're like, just on vacation camping in the middle of a street. Yeah, they don't want too many of them in one place because it's unsightly. Yes. So we have an urban camping ban, which means that it is illegal to sleep on <clears throat> the streets. We also have a sitting ban, which means that you cannot sit on a sidewalk. Um, we do regular sweeps through homeless encampments and communities through just a regular guy on the street. Um, it's horrific. It basically criminalizes poor people, literally. Mm-hmm. 
criminalizes poor people. Their possessions are taken away. They're cited. They're often jailed. They can't afford to bail themselves out. We're fixing cash bail as well, but it's a problem. So in Colorado, we have referendums, which means that you have the citizens vote, right? Mm -hmm. And we vote for Amendment 300, which was the right to survive. And it failed by 85 to 15. Yeah. Right to survive was just basic human dignity for people in my community who do not have homes to live in. And we said, no, they're illegal. These people are illegal and we should continue to have them be illegal because of a bunch of NIMBY, gentrified assholes. Mm. So we managed to keep people illegal, but we managed to legalize a drug on the same fucking ballot. You vote to say, yes, all the hippies can do fucking magic mushrooms. Psilocybin mushrooms are legal by a very scant measure. But 85% of the people (laughs) voted that actual human beings should be criminalized. So fuck you, Denver. Yeah. Fuck you. That's a problem. So mushrooms are legalized. Well, sort of. No. Mushrooms are decriminalized. Right. Meaning that the... City of Denver, this is specific to the city of Denver and not the state of Colorado. So if you step outside of the bounds of the city of Denver, psilocybin is still like a Schedule 2 drug that you can go to jail for. Schedule 1, I think. And maybe, um, which is ridiculous. But um, in the city of Denver, what that means, decriminalizing, means that Denver Police Department um, and Denver County Sheriffs will not be allowed to expend any funds to um, arrest, incarcerate, or charge people with possession or sale of psilocybin does not mean that we have like that was weird doesn't mean that we have like we're not, it's not like pot we're not like gonna have mushroom shops it's not legal it's just there will be no jail time my question is like who's doing mushrooms and who's getting caught and charged <laughs> is that even a thing uh sometimes like if, if there's a raid for other things or they you know you're dumb enough to let them search your car and they find it you know stuff like that I mean, I'm all for decriminalizing all drugs. Um, And I don't want people to go to jail for drugs. That's so stupid. I don't want people to go to jail for any reason. But so it's fine. Great. I voted for it. Um, But it seems a particular interesting dichotomy that we don't want to criminalize people who want to do a recreational drug. We want to criminalize people because they don't have a place to live. And we should mention that there was a, you know, a very active campaign full of, you know, lies and half truths and yes. scare tactics. So and no on 300. Did. Their slogan was, well, first of all, they spent two point three million dollars mm-hmm. on this um, referendum. Uh, yes, on 300, which was our side, spent a hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, the slogan for it was it's not enough. So my call to action for everyone, whether you live in Denver or not, is to go to all of these companies and all of these places and all of these people who said 300, no, it's not enough. And I would like to see them spend double or triple that $2.3 million that they spent on this fucking referendum to do something about homelessness in Denver. Yeah. If it's not enough, I agree. It's not enough. It's a step. So what are you going to do to make it enough? What is enough? Put your fucking money where your mouth is. You defeat this bill. You criminalize further homeless people. And then you, because you say it's not enough. Good. 
I would like to see all of the money coming into all of the programs to help these people find homes, to help these people find stability, to help with mental health care and addiction. I want to see all of that, at least $2.3 million from those same people, come into these programs. Yeah. Because it's not enough, worked. If it's not enough, what the fuck are you doing to make it better? And that will close our segment on Colorado. Thank you, K-Gro. Back to you. And as for us, we got about five minutes. What would you like to close with? What do you want to close with? Well, <clears throat> I don't know. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Oh. We didn't necessarily cover I do know. everything. What else do you want to get to in the last couple of minutes here? Well, you know, sometimes we talk on this podcast about things that are prognosticating, right? Like, this could happen if this happens, and this is what the scary thing could be. Mm-hmm. And I think people think sometimes that we're being hyperbolic, or that we're being hysterical, or that, like, that would never happen. And I'd like to point out that the Trump administration recently um, made a direction to the HHS, Office of Civil Rights, and generally that... Um, physicians, pharmacists, nurses, doctors are allowed to discriminate based on uh, religious freedom. Mm. Something that you and I talked about over and over when we were talking about religious freedom and the Trump election and Republicans generally, and it is here. Yeah. Which means I'm a queer woman. So any nurse, doctor, pharmacist, um, physician of any kind can decide not to treat me, yeah. not to give me birth control, not to give me access to the medication my doctor has prescribed me, um, because who I am, uh, fundamentally, they believe is against their religion. Now, so whether or yeah. not it's they don't want me to have birth control because <clears throat> they're quiverfill people and they think that everyone should just not have sex unless they want to have children, mm-hmm. or... Um, that my IUD is abortifacient, mm-hmm. or that because I'm queer and have sex with women that they don't want to treat me at all, um, or give me the proper information, or, I mean, it's now, here. Yeah. Now, here in Denver, that would just possibly be an inconvenience for us. It would be shocking to find, like, one doctor, and then you'd, like, you know, fucking tweet them and ruin their life. And but, so I could find 20 million other doctors that would treat but me. But if you lived in rural Missouri or something, uh-huh. you're screwed. So there's one pharmacist, there's one doctor, right? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. And you don't have a car and this happened and it is going to affect our people. All right. That's uh, about going to do it for us this week at irreverent duo, irreverent testimony at gmail.com. Who knows what'll happen by this time next week, but we will fill you in on it. Uh, I am Travis. I'm Rachel. Uh, Two Saturdays from now, we will be in California. We will not be. No. We're going to be Podcasting. in the desert. We'll be in the desert on a horse with no name, as Rachel likes to oh, remind what? me all the time. <laughs> Her favorite song. Okay. All talk, right. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.